And now it's my pleasure to introduce the man who also continues to explain to us the magnificent beings that we truly are, inspiring us to live a great life. Will you welcome with me our very own leader, mentor, and spiritual leader, Reverend Patrick Cameron. We know there's too much tidying up going on when Reverend Catherine takes my notes. Good morning, welcome. So I'm going to invite you to sing a song with me and we'll say a prayer. We'll continue to elevate the vibration. If you'd like to stand with me, that's please feel free and if not, stay seated. In this very room There's quite enough love For all the world And in this very room There's quite enough joy For all the world And there's quite enough love And quite enough power To walk through our every fear For spirit One spirit Is in this very room In this very room And I stand in the, the gratitude and appreciation this day for the remembrance of the one life. That life is perfect. That life is my life. And speaking in the I am for each person here. I celebrate that. I'm so grateful today for the genius that wrote the song that we just sang. The notes, the words, and the spaces between the notes. What a gift. A gift that we share every week. It's perfect. And I celebrate that. And as I celebrate that, I'm lifted. My vibrational tone is lifted. And so I stand in gratitude today knowing that every good thing that is seeking expression through the beautiful artistry of our our soloists today and our our members of our band and members of our community. I'm so grateful for our, our volunteers, people that have served this community so that we stand together this day in the truth and the remembrance of who we are and whose we are. And so let that perfection of that song remind us of the perfection that lives within each and every one of us. Let us have our conversation in heaven. And let us continue to lift our awareness into that vibration and to live there. Let this be our habit in a powerful, wonderful way. I give thanks for this remembrance, for this day, for the success that has brought us together this day. I'm so grateful. I see all the blessings wherever I look. And with that said, I give thanks, and I invite you to say with me as I release these words, knowing our perfection is already done in the mind of the one, and it is our choice to let that be our experience. And together we say, and so it is. Thank you. Please be seated.
Thank you, Brown. Brian's, thank you, Brian. Probably over there writing another song while we speak. It is fun to watch genius in our midst. But all of us have that genius. Every one of us. I want to do... I brought book, back a book this, this uh, month, and I understand the bookstore is closed today, so that'll create a buying frenzy for next week. Is it open? Okay, it is open now. Okay. First service, it was closed. But it's called A Little Book on Meaning by Laura Berman Fortgang. And I think one of the reasons that I really resonate with this book is that her story is a great deal like my story. And so it's, you know, it's kind of fun to have things that resonate with you and that you can you know, speak from and, and to. And I think her story actually represents most of our stories. But she begins the book with a quote from Rilke, uh, the poet Rilke. And I always thought Rilke because Maria is part of the name. Rainier Maria Rilke is actually a man. Didn't know that until recently. But it, <clears throat> the, the quotation, I know many of you have probably heard this uh, before, but I'll read it to you again. I'd like to beg you, dear sir, as I can, to have patience with everything unresolved in your heart and to try to love the questions themselves as if they were locked rooms or books written in a very foreign language. Don't search for the answers which could be not given to you now because you would not be able to live them. And the point is to live everything. Live the questions now. Perhaps then someday, far in the future, you will gradually, without even noticing it, live your way into the answer. And so the sharing that I wanted to uh, bring forth today is, is titled Mystery. And she shares the first part of this book is, is entitled Mystery, and I wanted to share bits and pieces of that because I think it's very uh, appropriate and poignant to uh, our own situation as, as individuals on this planet. She continues in the introduction, this is in the introduction on page four. Rilke was addressing a young man, but the same can be said of so many of us, young and old. At the core of our discomfort with this lies the truth that we don't know ourselves very well. And when we feel okay within ourselves, we are less impatient for answers. We can find our center and wait. We can tolerate mystery and maybe even revere it. It's just so different from how we've been trained and conditioned to live. And I think it's, once again, important to have the conversation because we teach... Our tradition is one of, of living a life of intentionality and of responsibility. And so where does that intentionality... In, in, in the sharing of her story today, I think it's a beautiful illustration because it's so important to take that responsibility and it's so important to move forward with that understanding and knowing and to continue to wake up. But it's a journey. She continues, To attempt a meaningful life is to embrace that which can be measured only within ourselves. The yardstick is not our life picture. It is rather how we feel about the person staring back at us in the mirror and how we feel about life. She, uh, I googled her on YouTube and I watched some presentations. She's been on all of major shows, Oprah and all of the U.S. morning talk shows, the, the news shows. And uh, interesting, so you can go on and you can sort of cherry pick the topics. But she said that uh, it's interesting to watch people that if people that are probably less in touch with perhaps the philosophy we share will we'll many times affirm the, how much they hate their job. And then all of a sudden the job, they get laid off from their job and they wonder what happened. Well, we know exactly what happened. Consciousness precedes experience. She recommends, in fact, part of her practice that she recommends when I was watching her was that, that there's 15 minutes of silence 
in everyone's day. And silence isn't looking at a magazine. It's just silence. She's talking about the practice of being, it's a spiritual practice. She went on to be an interdenominational inner, uh, minister. And, uh, but she's a, primarily a life coach. But in it, she talks about the mystery of, of, um, of life and how things unfold for us and, and how life works for us. And she talks in the first chapter about when we, she was pregnant with her first child and there was so much pain. Now, I've never been pregnant, so I don't know, but I understand it can be painful because the, 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 the whole female anatomy shifts and changes. Yes, thank you, Sue. But uh, anyway, but what she said was that when her, her first son was born, that all of a sudden where she had no hips, the, the infinite had given her hips. So all of a sudden she had a, she had a shelf to put the baby on. And then her second pregnancy, she had twins, and she had the two shelves to put the babies on. And she thought how amazing it was to be in that experience. Part of what she uh, um, talks about at the beginning of this, this book is she was an actress, and I think it's probably why I resonate with her story so much. She, her whole idea, and the reason we were, and, and so if you don't know, if you're here for the first time, for a number of years I lived in Los Angeles and I was an actor, or, or a wannabe actor, as all my co-workers would always say. And then they'd always say, but aren't we all actors, Pat, as I'd be driving off to go to another audition. But anyway, um, there was a point in, in her journey where all of a sudden she stopped. And it resonates so clearly with my own experience that, that uh, I just felt compelled to um, share it again. And I'll read you her experience because this had been her whole identity. And she talks about how she found herself, she was so desperate to do the work and she'd studied voice and she'd studied movement and she'd been in scene study classes. And believe me, as an actor, you're always immersed in something. You're always doing something. And it's just part of it. You know, you're getting your 10,000 hours. And the other part of it is like, unlike many careers, you know, I think if you're going to be an engineer or you're going to be a, um, an architect, there's a little bit of a more of a path that you can follow. But with acting, it's just, it's kind of groping at the ethers. So anyway, she had gotten to a point where she took a quasi-acting job, she calls it, where she, she was dressed up as a grandfather clock. And the only thing you could see were her arms and her legs, and she would dance around, and you could see her eggs, legs and arms sticking out, and the rest was grandfather clock. And she said, as she did this, as she became part of this troupe of, of entertainers, they'd go into corporate shows and do their, their thing. She said, what people couldn't see were the streams of tears running down the front of my face because I was hidden behind this grandfather clock. And she talks about letting go of this dream that had been her identity for so long. She, she, on page 23, she says, to shed an entire identity forces us to live in limbo for a long time. And limbo it comes from the Catholic tradition. I know it well because I knew all about limbo and purgatory. Is that place in between heaven and earth that we hang out? That's... Because I used to, you know, when you're a kid, you want to know where you go. When I die, where do I go? Oh, you go to limbo. Oh, and George Carlin does a whole 45 minutes of limbo in one of his routines. But anyway, limbo is that place in between. You don't know what's happening. You don't know where you're going. There's a great mystery in that. There's no knowing where where you're headed. There's no promise that something better or even good awaits. It's like being pulled through a tunnel in the dark and feeling the seconds as hours as you wait for the end of the ride. And when you get out, back in the light, we're blinded by the vastness, but slowly our eyes will adjust and life will come into focus as something new. Self-grieving is such a painful, lonely, body-racking place. It is so dark and so exhausting. Why would anyone choose to go there? There are only glimpses of meaning until we are on the other side of it. No wonder most of us try to avoid it. 
We are afraid we'll never, never come back from it, so we won't go there. And yet going there and getting through to the other side can be one of the most transformative experiences life can offer. We are not the pain. We are not the tragedy. We are the soul, and the soul is eternal. And the experience of the soul lives on as wisdom to relieve suffering for others. We are not who we think we are. Thank goodness. And as she talks about it, her, one of the things that opened up for her, in her on her journey was that she was working, doing her acting thing on waiting tables. And she talks about what good training it is. She feels that every young person should be wait tables because you learn how to prioritize based on the customers and the clientele. And it teaches you the social dexterity, fast-tracking fast social dexterity. But you know to bring out the water and the bread if someone has ordered a cappuccino because you're going to go back in the kitchen for five minutes and be gone. And all those things. And it really forces you to organize. But what she was waiting tables, and she realized that, that this just wasn't what she was called to. And she felt so empty inside because there didn't seem to be any meaning in her life. And so she began to volunteer at a place in Manhattan called the Center for Living. And the Center for Living was, a, was a, an, uh, an organization where people that had been given a diagnosis of AIDS or HIV infection or some other prognosis that was quite serious in terms of how we measure those things. And they would come in and they would get the support and the resources that they, they, that they had to offer. And what she said it was around for a while and then for whatever reason it, uh, it closed. But what she found in that was there was such great joy of being able to be of service and help others. And she would stuff envelopes. Her job there, she remembered, was painting the floors and the walls. She'd paint them white and then she would stuff envelopes. But she said it brought her to life and I think, it's, it's, it, I think what it speaks to is that idea of, we, I, think the, I think we're hardwired for service. I think we're hardwired for generosity. I think there's something about our soul that lifts up when, we're, we're, when we share our gifts and our talents with another. Mary Manon Morrissey talks about it in Prosperity Plus. She said the only reason for abundance is so that we can have the, have, be comfortable enough to identify and develop and share our gifts. See, that's what abundance is for. And so this was her awakening. I was at, uh, the last audition I went to as an actor, I was at the Fox Studios on Pico Boulevard in West Los Angeles. It was probably 1995 or 6. And I was studying ministry. And I went to audition for uh, Moonlighting. Remember Moonlighting with Bruce Willis and Sybil Shepherd? And I had been there about five or six times previously. And I went, to, and, and their practice was you'd, get, you'd arrive at one o'clock, and typically they'd say, you know, you're auditioning for a plumber. And so everybody, every actor that was my age, and we all looked like we could have been from the same family, you know, some blonde, some dark-haired, and, and but we'd all go home and put our plumber outfit on. So we'd all be standing around in our whatever that looked like, because as much as you think that casting directors would be able to imagine it, you wanted to give them as much help as possible, you know. So I'm, we're all there, and about one o'clock, and there's about there had to be at least twelve guys in the room, and as there was their practice, because I'd been there before, they said, "Can you wait till we finish writing the script?" Okay, so we would sit there for a couple hours, staring at one another, and and somebody was bright enough to bring a book along, but we, you know, we were, there was that sort of that that non-addressed uh, competitive charge in the room, so you don't want to get too buddy buddy unless you know somebody. Anyway, so we sit there sort of twiddling our thumbs for a couple hours. They come out, and then we all go in, and we read these three lines that they've just spent the last two hours figuring out, you know, which valve should I turn off or whatever it was. But anyway, 
Um, and then they would say, would you wait till we figured out who we're going to use because this shoots tomorrow morning first thing. So then they would go back in and we'd spend another hour and a half or two hours sitting there waiting for, you know, we're all like the Academy Awards. And they'd come out and they'd pick someone. And I'd done this several times. Never got a job with moonlighting, not those guys. But I realized when I left that day that I just couldn't do this anymore. I was done. I was just done. But the scary part for me was, well, then who am I going to be? I'm not going to call home and tell them, hey, guess what? I read for this part today and I'm waiting to hear and all that stuff that had been so much a part of my life. Um, that, that identity and how close you were to certain things. I just knew that what had happened for me was that I had grown out of that, that there was no longer the connection and the juice there for me. But I didn't know. I was in limbo. And that's a scary place to be. And I share it with you because we do teach responsibility and we do teach intentionality and we do set goals. But I think for all of us, it's just like this, this community um, and, and our individual lives. I think all of us show up with gifts and talents and skills. And all of it, in my life, my experience, I'll speak to my experience, all of it is, has nudged me in certain directions, despite my resistance. Because it was very difficult to put that down, that identity, and, and, and to live in the limbo. And, and to be able to grow in enough uh, proficiencies to be able to, to walk through this door, which I had no idea at the time, it was really not the, the thing that I wanted to do. I just wanted to be rich and famous and never have to talk to anybody ever again. <laughs> I mean, I think, I think at some level that was kind of what I thought. I, I knew it wasn't real, but I think that was kind of if someone asked me. But the point is, is that it wasn't, the, the magic wasn't there for me anymore. I knew there was something else waiting to happen. And so where in our lives, where in your life have you had those experiences where you've set out in a certain direction, you live an intentional life, and all of a sudden you realize this isn't it. And so I think it's important to share our stories about that because it's not a straight line. And everything that I learned there, I mean, if you can pursue an acting career, you can do anything because it is fraught with disappointment and rejection. But see, it lined up so beautiful with who I was because I, I could not accept myself. I was longing so much. So as I started to do the work internally, as I started to look in the mirror as Laura uh, Fortang talks about in her book and started to make peace with that. That conversation and that activity didn't, the vibration shifted for me. So when I would go into it, all of a sudden, it was so, it was so um, acutely apparent to me that that wasn't a good fit anymore. And it was shifting and changing. And the mystery is I didn't know where it was taking me, but I knew I was done. And I think it's important, I think it's important to have those things in our lives that, and be aware of them. You know, when we keep affirming, I'm in the wrong job, in the wrong place, at the wrong time, and we do get laid off, that's right and perfect. I watched uh, a video, someone gave me a video this week of, uh, of uh, Esther Hicks again, and I shared it a few weeks back. And there was a beautiful example in the illustration this week that I was watching, and she was doing a seminar. And if you don't know Esther, Esther and Jerry Hicks, they teach, they teach the law of attraction, and they go around and they do seminars, and they teach exactly what we teach, in my opinion. The vocabulary, and, and she supposedly channels someone named Abraham, but I, you know, I don't know about that. But what I do know is the affirmation is identical to what we teach here. And in the, in the episode I watched, it was about 20 minutes, this teacher came forward, and he said, you know, I love what you teach. And, and Esther's the one that talks about engaging with things that inspire us. 
energetically. It's really, we, we set the intention, and Dr. Holmes, a couple of weeks back, Dr. Ernest Holmes I talked about, he talked about how it's so important to embody the feeling. And we do that over a period of time. We grow in the vibration. She's, and Esther says, engage things that inspire us. Activate inspiration in our lives. Activate thriving in our lives. It's an energetic. And the more often we do that, see, her practice, what she found was that meditation did that for her. And so meditation became Esther Hicks's touchstone because she felt better with meditation. So the practices in our lives have practices in our lives that allow us to feel better. It's very simple, but you know, when we're not awake and we're not aware and we're used to... When I, was, I was attached to be the rejection and the frustration and the roller coaster of this acting. That's what, that was what fed me because that was what I, that's the only thing I knew. But in the presentation, this teacher comes forward and he says, you know, I work with, I work with kids that have been kicked out of every school they've ever been in. They are in the last place they're going to go. I work in New York State, and he talked about working at Rikers Island. And he said, and these kids have been thrown out of every school. And he said that my challenge is I love what you teach. I believe that it's important to latch on to things that make me feel better and to have a conversation that's going on in me that really lifts me up. But he said, I've got to tell you something. I listen to your tapes, and I do the work, and I've been listening to you for two years. And he said, then I go to work. And I walk into these classrooms, and, it's, and he said, I just, I lose it. I lose it. And she said, well, give me an example. And she said, well, there was a young boy. That, that, she says, these kids will stand. I think of this one boy in particular. He's standing with his cell phone, and he's talking on his cell phone. He's in the back of the class. When he's not talking on his cell phone, he's texting. And if I call him on it, then he just starts yelling profanities at me. And he said, I don't want to ruin your tapes, so I'm not going to tell you what they were. She said, that's fine. You don't need, a, don't need that much detail. And she said, well, she said, how about this? Try this. And she said, what if you said to him, and he said, stop right there, because they don't listen to anything I say. He says, don't worry about it. Let's just say for the sake of argument, he does hear you. And you get his attention one day. One day you slam the book down on your desk and say, look, I've got to tell you something. Just start where it's honest. He said, look, life sucks, and this sucks, being in this classroom. You don't want to be here, and I don't want to be here teaching you. That's the truth in this moment. And I have three choices with you. Number one, I can ignore you. I can just say you don't exist and I can remove my energy and my attention from you and ignore you. Now we can do that in our lives. We think, see things going on in the world and we can ignore it. And many people do. I don't want to know. I don't want to see it. And that's a choice. And I'm saying this to you and sharing it without judgment or any charge around it. But he said, you can ignore him. He said, number two, you can address him at his level of being the way he's showing up, which he's being a jerk. And that's another popular choice. We read the newspaper, we see the behavior, and right away, as, as in part of what Laura Berman Fortag talks about in this beautiful book on meaning, she talks about how we're attached to the label. She talked about the attachment to the label of being an actress and being a singer and being this, having this bohemian lifestyle. But we're attached to those labels. But we're not those labels. We are, we are the infinite individually expressed we are the infinite individually expressed Esther Hicks says if you knew what was swirling and conspiring for your great good the joy of that I mean whether I, I just love listening to her I get inspired it's like wow because you forget sometimes it's like wow well wait a minute I gotta take the trash out right now let me pull my energy down to take the trash out okay now I'm back in the house now I can warm up and what I found in Edmonton, especially this time of year, always put shoes on when you take the trash out. <clears throat> anyway, so she said you, have, you can ignore him, you can deal with him at the level of being he is, or 
you can make up your mind, just look at that young man and say, you know something? You're smart. You're acting stupid, but you're smart. And I choose to see that. I choose to see your brilliance. You are abundantly supplied. I don't care what your life looks like. Your, your divine inheritance is abundance. It's exactly what Ernest Holmes talked about. Vibrant health, beautiful relationships. And he said, and, and this teacher, as she's, as she's saying these things to this guy, the tears are just streaming down his face. And she's affirming the truth. You can see, we can see one another, we can ignore one another, we can look at the behavior, the being, or we can, we can choose to see people as they really are. And that's a challenge. It's a challenge because we, we, we have experiences with people and we, we want to put a label on it. And then we want to create a story around that. You know, when we see it in the government, we see it in the, we see it in the world, we got the, the, Wikipedia, the WikiLeaks now going on, all that stuff. There's life. Conversations. But what I know is that that's for good and that's for God as well. Um, I, I met with Wayne Lee this week and one of his mentors, I got corrected at the, at the break, said that uh, one of his mentors he shared with me is a man named Marshall Silver. And Marshall is a hypnotist. I said he was a magician at the first service, but he's a hypnotist. And Marshall's motto is surrender, surrender, find the perfect, and see what arises. And Marshall's got a whole series of, he teaches empowerment as well, like many, many people do on the planet now. Surrender, find the perfect, and see what arises. One life, that life is my life, that life is perfect. And let's see what arises. What is wanting to be given birth here? What is wanting to happen in our lives, within our community? See, there's, we set with intention. We sit down every year as a board and a leadership and as our practitioners and our ministers and as a community. And we set, we set intentions. We set goals. We're looking forward. And then life happens and things happen. And then the question to ask ourselves is, have we succeeded or failed? No, what's, what's wanting to be given birth here? What's wanting to be given birth here? And so in this, this Esther Hicks interaction with this beautiful teacher, she said, when you go back and you see your students this way, it will change the entire relationship. You don't even have to have the conversation. And I heard that and I thought, you know, last week I talked about Dr. E. Dr. E. Aliakala. Went to the Hawaii State Hospital. Never met with a patient. And shifted the whole culture by doing the cleaning practice. Talked about the cleaning last week, his prayer. Ho'oponopono. If you want to Google it or on, on YouTube, if you go to Dr. Hugh, H-E-W-L-E-N. And, and, and type that in, it'll bring you to a presentation. There's nine little short uh, presentations. But he talks about the practice. He doesn't explain the practice there. But I gave you the practice last week. If you weren't here last week, I'll give it to you again. There's four steps. The first step is that I love, to say I love you. I love you, which is that connection. Because there's, if we believe in oneness, if we're all connected, then, then there is only one of us here. But we are individualized expressions of the one. And I love you lifts us up. It shifts us in consciousness. It lifts our vibration. Because if I'm going to say I love you, then I have to find something within you that, that, that resonates for love. That's the same thing if we say I hate you. We, that's the vibrational tone that we bring to the relationship. I love you. So it's one of the highest vibrations because the, the, the vibration of spirit is unconditional love. She said to the teacher, she said, the problem we have in the system is these kids show up and they challenge the system. 
they don't like the system. So they're there. They're there to, to, in resistance for the system because what the system says is that we will love you if you comply with this. But the problem with the system, is, as she's sharing with this teacher, is the system never offers the unconditional love. And so these kids finally say, oh, I'm not even trying because it's not there. So what he brings is his consciousness. I love you, Dr. E's practice. I love you, which is that connection of oneness. I'm sorry, which is to say that if we are one and something in my consciousness has helped support this, this discord in your life, I'm sorry you're having that experience. But we also know that experience is perfect. I love you, I'm sorry. If there's anything in me that has supported this experience, I apologize. I love you, I'm sorry, please forgive me, which is the letting go. It's that humility to say, you know what, I'm, I'm sorry for what's, what's happened here. And then the thanksgiving. I love you, I'm sorry, please forgive me, thank you. And as Dr. E says, the thank you is, thanks for showing up so I get to clean this. Thank you for coming into my life so I get to clean this. This is exactly what Esther Hicks said to the teacher. She said, you've got to be so grateful for these kids because what these kids are calling upon is your vibrational escrow, is what you call it. It's consciousness. And you bring that to them. And they bring it out of you. And so they're your opportunity to practice seeing them as perfect. Find the perfect. The perfect is not based on behavior at that deep level. Find the perfect. Surrender. Find the perfect. See what arises. They're all teaching the same thing. As practitioners in this teaching, when you come to us, as ministers and practitioners to support you in prayer work, we identify the perfect. It's the same ritual. It's a sacred ritual. It lifts us up. Lifts us up. Mary Menon Morrissey and her uh, practitioner, uh, Prosperity Plus, it's a beautiful class, beautiful class. And what it does is it exposes us to ideas that continue to shift us and stretch us. And, and in it, those of you that have been in it, it's just been an, an amazing experience to watch people change and shift and plant different seeds and possibilities. The reason we come here, the reason that we have community, and Mary says this, and I listened to it this morning and I thought it was beautiful. She said, you know, we, we, we come because, we think we come because of the talk. The talk should be good and hopefully the talk is valuable. Want to have a, a, a good talk. But she says, sometimes it is, sometimes it isn't. She knows that. She did community for 20 years. Or you come for the music. And the music, you know, we're always so committed to having great musicians and artists here. And she said many times it is good as well, but sometimes not. The real reason we come together is the vibration. It's the consciousness. And I've heard it said over and over again. And the closer we can pull ourselves to a consciousness that helps us identify and start to live from the perfection that I am a success, that my life is working right now. Esther Hicks says what we need to do is to continue to look forward. We're never going to forget the stuff that happened. I still remember the sadness and the sorrow that I went through and the suffering. And then I felt so guilty. And I felt tremendously selfish wanting to be an actor. And all that stuff that I had to make peace with. But we come together so that we can be in the vibration and listen to ourselves. There's an infinite intelligence within all of us. Laura Berman Fortang says, have 15 minutes a day in your life. 15 minutes a day in your life of silence. You can see what Esther Hicks says is to this teacher, he said, you go back in this consciousness. You take this consciousness back to these kids. You're doing this for survival. You don't want to let them pull you into where they're living. That's not your job in this. You have enough vibrational escrow to lift that 
environment. That's what Dr. E talks about. That's what's so compelling about his story, the cleansing. To go to a mental hospital with rapists and murderers and all sorts of aberrant behavior that's going on and to bless it, to love it, to bring love to it and consciousness and clean his own consciousness and watch what happens, how it shifts and changes. The same for this teacher that goes back to these kids and go back in there as a spiritual warrior and say, you know what, despite what's going on here, I'm going to see these kids as they truly are. To see one another as we truly are. Where do we go in this world? Where can I go and have this experience and have the love and the support? And I know, I know there are places that we can go. But where can we go and do this? I need, I need community. I need, to be, I need to be engaged with people. I need to have the reminders, the inspiration, the stories, the ancient wisdom we share, the perennial truth. Jesus said, it is done unto you as you believe. And at and, and the level of consciousness. And so the consciousness work is so important. But it's not to set the intention. Esther talks about it as you get into this law of attraction. You start to live intentionally. The gaps, the gap between what you set the intention for and what, what eventually shows up in detail in our lives, it can be huge sometimes. I shared last week, I had a, finally had a demonstration after seven years. Something I was praying for. I finally got so preoccupied and exhausted with everything else going on in my life, I, I let it go. We say we let go of prayer in prayer treatment, but I finally let it go and it showed up. And I thought, look at that. Everything else is kind of chaotic, but that's working now. <laughs> but it's a, it's a wonderful, powerful thing. I want to share with you, this past year, we've had an interesting, I've been here, it's my eighth year, and we have had an amazing uh, eight years. And this year, we, we, uh, we projected a budget based on what we had done in the years past. And this year, we, we're about 20 to 25% short of our uh, projected budget. So we're doing the things necessary to bring things into alignment, and we're, we're in really solid shape in terms of what we've had to cut back. And a lot of it that, you know, we are, are one of our intentions is not to compromise what we do on Sunday morning. But I want to let you know that I've talked to my friends in the States this week, and a number of them, and ministers, and for, for, uh, statistically, and I saw it on Global News as well, nonprofits are down about 20 to 25%. And it's just race consciousness. It's the, 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 the economic client, uh, you know, climate right now. But I just want to thank you all who participate in our intentional giving program. It is huge. And I don't talk about it much. But why are we here? Why do we want to keep doing this? And I think I've sp- spoken a little bit about that today. So that all of us can live our best life possible. And then we're thriving. It is, it is our survival that is so important. Because if our cup isn't full, how can we be of service to anyone else? If we're not showing up clear and grounded in who we are and whose we are and expressing that beautifully and wonderfully and having the awareness and the clarity and the resources to be able to go to any environment despite what's happening and to call forth the perfection. That's the work of the, that's the, work of the metaphysician. That's the work of the person, the evolved person. So I just want to let you know that we're, we're, we're launching again our intentional giving program. I figured it out mathematically this morning that if every person on average that attended... It's about $12 a week we would have hit our budget this year. And I know for many, $12 is a lot. I know for some, you know, it's $2 a day. It's about what I put into a cup of coffee over a second cup every day. But I want to give you that information from a sense of just awareness. Without me sharing this information, people don't know. And I want to thank you. This community and this teaching is going to be here.
We're not, we're not in any way, shape, or form doubting that. We're going to continue to do what we do because I know how important it is. But I want to let you know. So if you're thinking about our intentional giving program this year, appreciate it. And, and, and give some thought to that because it's a, such a powerful, powerful tool for us to be able to budget and anticipate and to, to share programs. And, and as I've been doing my work, especially through Prosperity Plus, a lot of wonderful ideas are emerging. See, prosperity and abundance is ideas of how we share the teaching and how we expose these ideas to people. I'm so proud of what we do, our practitioners, our ministers. This, this, this tradition, which for many, it takes a lot of courage to put down our, our tradition of birth. You know, I went through the same experience with putting that down as I put down the idea of being an actor. But without the support and the love and the prayers and the consciousness that I was exposed to over the years and continue to be, I don't know if I could have made it. I needed a group of people that kept calling forth the best of myself. And you do that, and we do that for one another. So I just want to plant that seed with you. If you're interested and want to look at it, the envelopes are in the back, and I'm going to talk about it a bit more as we go through the next month or two, because it's so important. Our programs are important. It's important for us to be here. So thank you so much. Thank you for listening today. If you're here for the first time, thank you for showing up. There's a lot of, there's a lot of people that come one or two times. They get what they need. They go out in the world, and, they, and, and their lives are transformed. Some come for a lifetime, a season, a reason, or a lifetime. But it doesn't matter, and we should not measure it that way. But for those of us that hold this precious, and I do, and I know many of you do, I want it to be here. I want this to continue to grow and thrive and be successful. So thank you all, because we are the ones, and now is the time. So it is.